Um, I mean, I can speak anecdotally to my own experiences. I came in here as a freshman thinking, I don't know anyone who's been assaulted. This is something I have no connection with. And then the more I covered this, the more I talked to my own friends, I started to realize that it is a bigger problem maybe than, you know, you see in just the reported numbers. There are a, a significant amount of people who who decide not to report. Um, and that was uh, something we spent a lot of time thinking about when we published the series. It, it Okay, folks. Hi, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. This is Dr. John Duffy. I am your host as always, and I always appreciate you protecting some time for myself and my guests. Um, I have a very special guest with me here today. Um, her name is Carly Lanick. Um, welcome, Carly. Thank you. I'm glad uh, to be here. Glad to have you here. And Carly is a, a writer and editor for the Indiana Daily Student, which is the uh, student newspaper here at Indiana University. And Carly, you um, this week have published a series on a really important topic. Do you mind just giving us a little intro into what you've been what you've been writing about and what you've learned? Sure. So, um, started about a year ago, we um, had a case of an administrator here at IU who was in charge of overseeing sexual assault investigations at the university, and he himself was accused of sexual assault. Um, how, how bizarre and ironic is that? Right. So it was a really interesting case, and of course, we spent a lot of time looking into the background of what happened in that individual report, and the man was never charged in a police investigation. A university review found that the cases he had sat on here at IU were conducted um, thoroughly and according to IU procedure. But it raised a question for us, how does IU handle these cases when students come to this office? So that was kind of where it began. And then we spent a year just really looking to understand um, both from the policy side, but also from, from students, how this has affected their lives. This is something we don't think about that much, right? So we, uh, sexual assault on campus is a it, it, it's a topic we've been talking about for several years now, right? And um, I was just in the restroom in this building, yes. and it, right on the mirror is you know uh, warnings about sexual assault and how to how to keep safe and you know um, so. There's, on the front end, there's some work being done. Uh, what you're looking at is this back end, right? You know, so once something's happened or may have happened, what does the university do? So what typically happens? What does take place? Sure, exactly. So that's something we found a lot, that students here at IU recognize they see those posters, they see signage on campus about this is what it means to give and ask for consent and where you can go if you think you've experienced sexual assault. But the fact that... Um, you know, there's these whole set of procedures and reporting that happens on the back end. Students don't know as much about that. So that was really what we're looking to explore. And it starts with, um, you know, it starts with a report. And sometimes even that can be a little bit tricky. Students may not know when they come to um, a professor here or someone they're close with on the campus. These are all people who are mandatory reporters. Right. So so if you go to, you know, say I, I have a professor I'm very close with, if I were to go to him and say, hey, I think something's happened, he has to tell the university. So that immediately launches um, IU's procedures. So, so they're mandatory reporting, unlike mine. So sure. if, if I'm working with a client and um, and they've been sexually assaulted sure. um, and they're under 18, for example, I have to contact the Department of Children and Family Services sure. or the police. Sure. Here, I think you're telling me 
what the mandatory reporting goes to the university, Correct. not to the police. Correct. And this is actually an interesting place. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at how other schools handle these cases as yeah. well. And that's fairly common at schools. Most schools have a system of, of mandatory reporters who will report to a university office to handle these cases. Got it. So if you were to report to um, you know, a professor, an instructor, someone employed by IU, with the exception of um, some of the folks in our health center who are considered confidential resources, right. those all get direct here to our Office of Student Conduct, and that launches a university investigation of the cases. And this is something completely separate from a police investigation, with which a lot of students, when they're looking at these cases for the first time, may not understand. So that was something we took a look at, was how does this vary from what you might uh, preconceive to be an investigation um, by police? And, right. and it is different. The systems that IU present have a lot of complexities and um, different ways of looking into these cases when it's between students. Well, and I can't get past, you know, so um, reading this, and my wife and I have been talking about this, we've been reading your work all weekend, and, and it's and it's really great reporting. So, you know, you. Um, I encourage people to, to have a look at it just to see how this phenomenon plays out, because it's not something we think about very often. I, I think about, um, so I, I have a niece who um, sure. is a student here, and I'm thinking, boy, if something happened to her... Um, just the idea of reporting is is anxiety inducing enough, right? You know, mm -hmm. the, it's this horrific thing that, that that has taken place, and now you've got to talk to somebody about it, which is the last thing so many people want to do when they've right. been violated, right? Right. And often the process itself feels like a secondary violation. You know, um, do you feel? like from what you've learned that the university or universities on the whole um, do their best to mitigate that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I've spoke to a lot of students who say like, look, I went through this process and I felt, you know, really terrible about what had happened to me. And I looked to my university for help and that's where the system failed them. They said they weren't able to provide that extra layer of protection that they deserve. And I think, um, you know, IU has some policies in place to try to mitigate that. This is a really difficult system when you look at balancing that sensitivity to students who are reporting while also providing due process for students who've been accused of assault because right. you have to remember that, you know, even though it's a different investigation, it's not a police investigation, you need to allow students this element of fairness in these right. cases. So right. I think that's something that IU tries and to work into their policy. Like, look, we need both students to appear in a hearing together to understand from both of them how this how how this report played out, but you know, we found um, examples of students who were abusing these policies. We found examples of students who are sitting in a hearing room just feet away from the man they've accused of assault, and that man is directly addressing them and, and taunting them. So, we, you know, found found some very concerning aspects to the policy that we we propose in our our last part of our series that could be easily fixed. Right, right. Yeah, you you, you came up with a number of fixes. Um, that particular instance that you described, sure. you know, and I, I'm picturing a courtroom. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't look like that, but there was some kind of barrier between these two right. as, as, so as to um, feel like a bit of protection. But in fact, this young man was taunting this yes. woman um, and, and, and regardless of what happened. Right. You know, um, how how wretched uh, a thing and and easily, I would think, reparable. Um, is, is the reparation there to have them in separate rooms? You know what I mean? Should they never be in a room together, in your opinion? Right. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a difficult question to consider. Um, 
and we proposed several solutions. If you're going to have this policy of, of putting a barrier there and you're going to allow students to, you know, ask questions of witnesses and try to bring their case, you know, if you have this policy to keep students from interacting with each other, you need to enforce that. This is the specific case I'm mentioning is something this student claimed happened in front of three university employees. Right, right. Um, so that that that's one thing is if we're going to have this policy, let's make sure it's being strictly enforced. Um, the other thing is just taking a look at what other schools do. There are some other systems where schools consider um, Skyping students into these hearings. Some some schools don't have hearings at all. Some, some schools go off of a... Um, a, a written statement presented to um, a, a hearing panel or a single administrator. Right. But with all of these proposals, there's obviously other considerations to factor in. How right. does this affect, you know, a student's ability to, um, you know, respond to claims made by another student if they're not in the same room? So it's very complicated. It, it is complicated, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because I, I could I could sense the dissonance in some of the writing because um, th- there's. Um, there's this piece of, I think, most of us that wants victims and somebody who's accused to have a voice in what happens next. And I would imagine that there are some people who are involved in these situations who don't want to testify or, or speak up in any way, but would rather be wholly anonymous, you know? So it's, um, it almost feels like a one-size-fits-all thing might not be the right answer. Right. And there there are steps we've heard from students who've reported to IU where IU says, you know, if you're a survivor of sexual assault, if you've come to us with a report, we'll let you drive the process. If you don't want to go further with this, we can let you be hands off. But that also presents a challenge where um, we've interviewed attorneys who've represented students accused in this system who say, um, if this student is bringing a claim and they can't back up that claim, that's not fair to my client because that client still has to sit through those procedures and still has to represent themselves. So that that's also a very complicated situation to be in to, to provide that equal balance there in the system. It's a really good point. And, and I have to admit, when as I was reading what you wrote, um, my presumption, and, and, and maybe culturally there's something <laughs> something important about this, was that the presumed victim was in fact telling the truth that that was that was the reality you know right. um uh and and um and maybe that's political correctness run amok or something like that but um did did you find any bias um one way or another in the system uh in in favor of either uh, the, the the person who was doing the accusing or the one who was accused? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a great question to ask. Um, and we've uh, heard, especially in the side of, of students who've been accused, that they feel unjustly treated in the system. There's mm-hmm. been a number of lawsuits, um, both at IU and at other schools, that say, you know, there's this societal expectation that someone is always telling the truth and that right. that um, we've had it almost explained to us as a race to the Office of Student Conduct, that the first student who steps in that door is going to be believed right away. Um, and I think it also falls down to looking at definitions of consent and sexual assault. That's very tricky on a college campus when multiple students may be drinking or, you know, don't remember the facts of a case. Um, and, and that's a difficult conversation to have as well because no one wants to say, you know, this person is coming to our office and they've been through a trauma and they're not telling us the truth. But a lot of people also don't want to see a failure in in uh, fairness being provided to both sides just because we're dealing with sensitive cases. Right, right, right. And, and the issue itself is so sensitive that I find myself even just talking now being very cautious about it. Um, and 
Um, I will admit to you, on the drive down here today, my wife and I were talking about this issue of consent and how um, once alcohol, for example, is brought into the situation, especially if it's both parties are inebriated, um, how fuzzy, how fuzzy an issue does that become? And I don't know if it's a fair thing to ask you, right? But it's <laughs> right, but it's something that crossed our minds. You know that um, that we haven't talked about a whole lot because um, because no means no. I think we're all very clear on that these days. Um, and and yet, at what point? At what point is is nobody really in a place to say yes or no? You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, do, do we? Um, is there something systemic involved in, in um, college culture overall that drives more of these issues than we should be having? Right. And I, I think that's the big question people have right now is how, how do we decide these cases? And, um, you know, I've talked to the university and I've looked at other schools and asked, you know, in a lot of a lot of cases, this can be difficult to tell when two people go into a room. How do you know right. what happens? And if they're both inebriated. You're going off of, you know, what they can remember. Um, And I've heard from investigators, I've heard from the university that they look to evidence in text messages or from students who may have been with students prior to, you know, splitting off and going somewhere. Um, But it's still, you know, it's difficult to tell. And I think that's what makes these cases so complex when when you're looking at trying to decide what happened. Absolutely. Years ago, um, I just remembered this. I worked with a young man. He, He went to a different school. Um, and, and an accusation came his way. Um, there was absolutely sexual conduct between he and this young woman. Um, and, and so I asked him point blank, like, you know, so did you have consent for what happened? And his, and his answer, and I believed him, was, I, I don't know. You know, I don't remember and I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so th- th- it was this heartbreaking thing where the, both of their lives were greatly affected. They were both out of that school very shortly um, thereafter. And, um, you know, it, to this day, I, I would argue that he isn't reputation-wise fully recovered. And, you know, there's this part of him that believes like, boy, I think I may have really hurt somebody. I may have raped somebody. How awful, you know. And, and I would never have wanted to do that in my right mind. Right, you know? right, absolutely. And I think that's when you look at this, this affects deeply both sides of these cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think there's any question that when someone reports there's been a deep emotional trauma that's come of these cases, but it is looking at how do we define that? And yeah. and that can become very difficult. And again, it goes back to that sensitivity. You don't want to tell someone that what they've experienced isn't what they say it is. Um, right. Right. So you, you've got to take a look at that carefully and, and weigh the evidence and also look at, you know, we're dealing with a time when students coming to IU are young, 18 to 22 years old. What have they been taught before coming here? And the, the university, I think, does take a lot of time and effort. Uh, you mentioned the, the flyers in the bathrooms. Right. They they put a lot of resources into trying to teach students what consent is. When we come in um, as new students, there's actually a musical where they explain just the topic of consent. So they're, they're trying really hard, but I think it, it campuses across the country. It's going to be a really difficult um, topic to challenge. And and when you think about students going to a college party, you know, they're maybe not thinking about that bathroom stall flyer they first saw when they came right. here. So right. it's, you know, how do you how do you address that? It's, it's very difficult, I think. Well, I, I've thought about the differences um, just between genders and what I've learned um, working with young people in their intent at the beginning of the night in terms of going out, sure. you know what I mean? And um, 
And, you know, there's, there's a gender difference, I think I, I would argue, but rarely, do, hardly ever, maybe never does it involve, I intend to inflict harm on somebody, you know, sure. um, but that doesn't mean that these things don't happen. Right. And so I can, I, I, I can appreciate you thinking this through enough to think like, okay, so now something's happened or at least something's been reported. Right. Um, was there anything you came up with? So you had that series of suggestions in sure. your last piece. Um, was there one thing that you feel like if, if, if we only did this, you know, this would make it better? Sure. I think um, the thing that stuck out to me most is just the element of safety, right? So we have students reporting these cases. Um, and I think it's rare that this happens, but there were students who said, you know, I reported assault against this other student and this student tried to come back on my floor or this student showed up at my work. And it wasn't necessarily a case where that student is looking out, seeking specifically the other student who reported against them, but it made them feel uncomfortable. And the really only um, way that they had to address that was to send an email to an administrator. And that's really difficult if you're in the moment of, of uh, you know, someone being there and you're feeling uncomfortable and that's your only um, mode of action. You can't fall on, you know, a police department to enforce an order that's been issued by the university. You know, what, what can you do? So I think um, one of the proposals we made was just like, let's communicate more openly with our police department here with, um, you know, we've got some campus resources to help students get in contact with legal protective orders so that, you know, these situations don't happen and so that students do feel safe. Because I think, um, you know, even before a hearing is held and decisions are made, the university needs to have clear uh, instructions in place for how to keep these students separated. And yeah. I think if you ask students who've been accused of sexual assault, most of them, a majority of them, aren't necessarily going to want to see the student who has accused them of something. So it shouldn't be that much of an issue to say, you know, look, let's see what we can do to ensure that safety in the unlikely situation that a student does have this, um, you know, this action against them that, that they feel unsafe. No, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, and almost from a pragmatic liability point of view, I would think the university would be behind, any university would be sure. behind that, you know, mm -hmm. um, 100%. Um, being a therapist, I, I think a lot about, like, I love CAPS programs, counseling sure. and psych services programs on campuses. Um, and I don't know if that is part of the protocol for um, either of the students who's affected in a situation mm -hmm. like this. Yeah, IU actually does offer resources for that. They actually have a specific service called SACS, which I believe is Sexual Assault Crisis Service. Mm -hmm. You'd have to double check me on that. Okay. Um, but they offer um, group counseling for people who've reported. They um, do, I think, hold sessions for those who've been accused. But they, they do make efforts um, to say, look, if, if you've experienced this and you're, you want to talk about it or you need to you know, get something off your chest, they have those resources available. And that's also, we're, we're going back to this converse, conversation of mandatory reporters. Right. The people in those offices are confidential. So you can go to them and say, like, hey, I think I've experienced something. I don't know what to do. I don't know if this is something I do or don't want to report, but I just need to talk about it. That's a place students can go. Yeah. Oh, well, th thank goodness for that, right? Sure. Um, uh, uh, in the name of asking you a whole bunch of unfair questions, I'm going to throw <laughs> one more at you. Sure. Um, in, in, in your research, do you find... In the back of my mind, I always suspect that sexual assault on campuses happens more than we think, that, that a lot of it goes unreported altogether. Um, and I don't know if, if um, in the course of what your work here, 
whether you've run across anything that would suggest that or otherwise. But do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah, I can. You know, that's a difficult question because um, just even nationally, it's very hard to track, you know, how many cases go unreported because obviously they haven't been reported. But um, I mean, I can speak anecdotally to my own experiences. I came in here as a freshman thinking, I don't know anyone who's been assaulted. This is something I have no connection with. And then the more I cover this, the more I talk to my own friends, I started to realize that it is a bigger problem maybe than, you know, you see in just the reported numbers. There are a a significant amount of people who who decide not to report. Um, And that was uh, something we spent a lot of time thinking about when we published the series. It's a very ominous view of what happens when you report to your university. And we didn't want to discourage people from making that decision if that's what they choose to do, because obviously there are resources out there and we want people to be connected to those. And and our purpose was to say, look, if students, you know, need to be separated from another student on campus, if they need to get resources, we want to encourage students to do that. We want to make sure the system that they're reporting to is the best it can be when they make that decision. So that was our goal in writing about it. But, um, you know, even, even on our own staff at the Indiana Daily Student, we had a tough conversation about a year ago where we said, wow, how many of us in our newsroom have been affected? by this and um, you know uh, under the advice of a couple you know just mind-blowingly smart editors who since graduated they had a conversation of there's people in our newsroom who've been deeply affected and hurt by this I wonder how many people beyond me have been and we learned that it was more than we thought. There were maybe a dozen students on our staff who'd had personal experiences. And we said, you know what, we're asking a lot of students, a lot of students to share openly with us. Why aren't we doing that ourselves? Right. So we uh, launched a series of tweets and, and shared our own experiences and said, hey, this is something we've been touched by. And we had people who reported very deeply emotional situations where they had experienced rape or sexual assault. And um, I think that showed that we we're not hiding anything about our own experiences, that this is something that affects everyone and that, you know, if we're asking students to share with us, we want it to be open and sharing with them. That is, that's that's kind of a remarkable story. It takes my breath away a little bit. I mean, part of the reason um, about a year and a half ago I put this podcast together is I realized that um, so much of what we suffer is taboo. So we hold it in, right? Um, And when we share our experiences, that taboo can be lifted and we experience a little less um, undue anxiety um, than than we would otherwise, even in really, really traumatic, difficult situations. The fact that you guys decided as a staff to do that, you know, as an objective staff of reporters, that's amazing to me and probably gave license to a lot of people and maybe hope. Right. That, mm-hmm. that, OK, things can be OK and things can get better because they're sharing their stories and there's survival in there. Right. There's you know, you can get past this somehow. Sure, sure. And that was a conversation you mentioned objectivity, a conversation we had as reporters. Is this something that, you know, skews us from how we're reporting on this? Is right. this going to show that we're, you know, only looking at this in a one sided perspective? And I think. Something that we sat down, we had a conversation the day before we did this and said, you know, sexual assault is objectively wrong. And if we've experienced this, there's there's no problem in sharing that story. Um, and I think a lot of students responded well to that and, and seeing that, you know, this is something that we need to talk about on our campus. And that was actually a comment that I had heard after the series ran. Um, someone mentioned like that, yes, reports on sexual assault um, all the time. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, our 
is this something that, that the IDS is always going, going to keep reporting on? Or are they going to keep reporting the same stories? And for us, it's really important that it is a big part of our culture. So we will continue to report on that until it goes away. Why would we not? That's so that's so awesome. And, um, and, and we'll probably continue to kind of lift the taboo and hopefully you know, at some point, mitigate the problem, right? You know, uh, don't you long for the day where, you know, this is an unnecessary story, right? That yeah. Somehow the, 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 the sign in the bathroom and um, all you learn in orientation and everything you've learned up in those first 18 years of life finally catches up and, we, right. and, we, right. uh, and whatever this, whatever's happening on campuses stops. Um, I suspect it's been happening on campuses since long before I was in college. Um, I just think that your generation is so much better at addressing these difficult problems. So my hat's off to you and specifically, Carly, to you for bringing this to light and um, and to kind of holding a camp. I, I suspect you are a fan of Indiana University. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and part of being, uh, of loving an institution and being a part of it is is holding it accountable, right? When you feel Absolutely. like oh, we're not we're not quite doing our job here. Absolutely. Yeah, that was something we had conversation about a lot in reporting this story. Um, you know, what what do you say when someone says how could you be so critical of IU? Don't you love your school? And I yeah. absolutely do. And it's just what you said. If if we, you know, love these institutions we're a part of, we need to be taking a look at them and we need to make sure they're doing the best for their students. Well, um, my, my hat's off to you. And um, and I, th- I suspect that um, this work will will lift some of the emotional load off of people who have been through something really traumatic. So um, I, I appreciate the work you do. I appreciate you taking some time and sitting down with me sure. um, and uh, and keep up the good work absolutely that's, thank uh, you that's Carly Lanick with the Indiana Daily Student um, and I encourage you it, it is the week of September what what week is this Carly uh, it's idea? 22nd 22nd that's what today is, is. Okay, 22nd. <laughs> so um, if, if you can if you can dig up the last four days um, uh, of uh, of work you can get a feel even if you're at a different university of how things might be different um, this is the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. On behalf of Carly and myself, we appreciate your time, and I will talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.